Live from the Old Church Concert Hall in Portland, Oregon, it's Portland Story Theater's Urban Tellers. May the narrative be with you. So the phone rang, and my dad motioned for me to pick up in the other room. This was back when you could do that sort of thing. Remember the chords? <laughs> it was this crazy lady. She'd been calling for weeks. She was calling and telling my dad lies about me. Big lies, and this one small truth. The small truth that she was telling him was that I was gay, but the rest of it was this crazy stuff. And my dad had brought this to me and said, who is she? Why is she calling? Is this true? And I didn't know who she was or why the fuck she was calling. And most of it wasn't true, so I denied it all. I mean, it seemed like the safest bet. But I went to the other room, and I picked up, and I pulled the phone into the bathroom. And I was going to try and help figure out who this was. We didn't know that this phone call would be different. This time, she was going to say who she was and why she was calling and what she really wanted. So, who she was was the mother of my first girlfriend, and why she was calling was that she had intercepted letters that I had written to that girlfriend. And this was the summer that I had turned 19. And I was very much in love. I don't know if you were in love when you were, in when you were 19, but <laughs> it's a special thing. And I was a very descriptive writer. <laughs> so having intercepted these letters, she was very clear on the nature of the relationship that I was having with her daughter. And she then read excerpts of these letters to my dad on the phone, which was painful. And what she wanted was that my parents not send me to college when it started again a few weeks later, so that presumably her daughter couldn't be gay with me again in the fall, which seems silly because there might have been a couple of other girls there at school. <laughs> Did I say it was Smith College? It was. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I, I remember how cold the bathroom floor felt against my face. And I remember thinking that this was as bad as things could ever get. And to be fair, that was maybe true. The bathroom was in Alabama, in the house that I grew up in, and this was in the summer of 1990. And the family that I grew up in was loving and very close-knit and extremely conservative and deeply, deeply religious. Our life was the church and being gay was not okay. And in my earliest memories, I knew that there was something different about me and I didn't have words for it. I didn't know what it was, but I felt like it was dangerous and I knew that it was something that should be hidden. At the same time, I 
was a southern girl, and I was born a pleaser. And so my coping mechanism, I think, became perfectionism. I excelled at everything. I was a straight-A student. I did all the right extracurriculars, and I think my take was if nobody ever looked too closely, nobody might ever see whatever it was that I didn't have words for, but that shouldn't be seen. So, when the gay bomb dropped, my parents were blindsided. How could they not be? Eventually, my dad and this woman hung up, and I had to walk down the hall and face my parents. Um, it was bad. There was a lot of talk of sin. There was shaming. There was shouting. There were questions I couldn't answer, blaming, visits to psychologists, meeting with ministers. Ultimately, she got her wish. I didn't finish college. It unfolded over a few years, but what it came down to for me was a choice. I felt very much like on one hand, there was the love and approval of my family and of God and of everything that I cherished and held dear and wanted in my life. And on the other hand, was maybe an answer to questions that I had always had and that I needed, but that came with wild uncertainty and unaffordable loss. And it occurred to me recently when I told this story to a kind of new group of friends that I've told this story a lot of times and I've always painted it with this element of defiance, like there was a point at which I said, fuck you to my parents. And, you know, that really didn't happen. It didn't. I caved completely. It was in slow motion, but it happened. I disappeared. And I've been trying to unpack that lately, and I don't know if it was weakness or if it was survival. But in the absence of defiance, and now very clear on what that relentless feeling was in my first 19 years, the next 20 years left me with a much greater conflict. I really convinced myself that my queerness was optional and I set out to live the life that I should live. And when I met a man in my mid-twenties that I cared for deeply, marrying him really seemed like the right thing to do, and that's what I did. I believed that this was a life I could have. And we both wanted children very much, and we adopted two daughters, and that was a beautiful thing. And then it happened. In 2010, one of those daughters was in crisis, completely and utterly. And we did what parents do when our kids are in crisis. We set out to save her. And I found myself with this sort of mantra that sprang up spontaneously. I found myself in her face, 
day after day saying, you are exactly who you're meant to be and who you are is beautiful. You are exactly who you're meant to be and who you are is beautiful. <laughs> and you know, all children push their parents. And if my parents were in the room tonight, we could get together on this point. <laughs> and this one kid of mine, she is pretty extraordinarily pushy. <laughs> um, but she pushed me to say this over and over again. And it was like saying those words hundreds of times maybe in my own voice. It was like my heart finally heard it. And one day when my heart heard it, it sounded like an invitation. And then in the very next moment, it was like an obligation and I couldn't keep doing what I'd been doing. And in some way, it took me back to that threshold between growing up and being grown where I'd stood with my parents 28 years ago and I had to make it right. And I had to unmake this marriage that I'd made that I never belonged in. And there was heartache in that, but there was this freedom and this wholeness too. And now it's 2018 and both my children are kind and strong. And my parents and I are still on this road together 28 years later since that phone call, which is a crazy thing, and there's a lot of grace in that. And I love who I am, and I couldn't love my wife more than I do. And I reflect back on this 30-year arc, almost, now, and what it all means, and something that I've come to, really, in thinking about how to tell this story, is the incredible importance of saying the simple truths out loud and the deep need that we all have to hear them and how that changes things. It's not enough to see them written down and it's not enough to believe that people know them. We need to say them with our own voices and we need to hear them. We really do. And I wanna say it to you. I wanna say that you're exactly who you're meant to be and who you are is beautiful. And I am too.